This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. Iron Source are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Folks, most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was $1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile. A true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppSlyer. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppSlyer to boost their business. So go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Twig 102. Today, we have our regular hosts, myself, Joe Kimmer, Chris Adam Telfer, and we have special kind of regular host, David. You've been on a few times now, but we have David Hoppy from Gamma Law. And the news that we will cover today includes, first, Monday's hearing may foreshadow Epic versus Apple outcome, which was a blog post from David Hoppy on the Gamma Law website. Second, Blizzard co-founder Mike Morheim launches new gaming endeavor, Dreamhaven by VentureBeat. Third, Playco raises $100 million at a $1 billion valuation for instant games, also by VentureBeat. And finally, Luna, Amazon's new streaming service by Seeking Alpha. What's up, guys? We all good? Everybody we are happy? all good in the hood. All right. So if no personal updates, rolling into just quick news updates. First, Epic Games continued to make moves as it acquired kids' safety company Super Awesome. This acquisition seems to support the overall movement to help Epic expand its audience and to build supporting infrastructure for creator platforms for a wide audience in the future. Second, if you have not checked it out, I highly recommend checking out uh, CBS's new documentary, Console Wars, which released last week, and details the battle between Nintendo, Sega, and later on Sony. And I would also recommend, if you haven't watched it, the Netflix documentary series as well called High Score, so check that one out. It's like a rush to get out the history of video <laughs> games, huh? I did, I did yeah. actually do the Netflix one, uh, the High okay. Score one, but it was like kind of 
ancient, but I, I, you know, we know a few of those guys, the, what's the Atari guy's name, but anyway. Nolan Bushnell? Yeah, Nolan, I met a few times. And then you just interviewed- um, Trip Hawkins? Trip Hawkins, yeah. right? Yeah, 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 actually asking Trip what he felt the new high score would be. But yeah, I thought that was a pretty interesting interview. That'll be coming to the podcast next week. So stay tuned for that as well. Cool. Actually, you know, we should also try and I'll, I'll ping Tom Kalinske from former CEO of Sega, see if we can also get an interview with him as well. Next up, the Tribune is reporting that India will keep PUBG Mobile banned in India, despite PUBG Corp's removal of Tencent as the publisher of the game. The source for the Tribune is suggesting that it's actually the violent nature of the game that is causing the ban to remain in effect. However, I actually don't think that's the case. I think this is probably more of a prelude to more geopolitical app wars. The rumor is that the Indian government wants a local partnership and so is really pushing more for basically for supporting the local game development scene. And anyway, we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but I would expect more of this type of situation in the future and especially here in the U.S., depending on our next president. So stay tuned. Final update, at least for me, is that Spotify, Match, and Epic Games have teamed up to create a nonprofit organization called the Coalition for App Fairness, whose charter is to, quote, to advocate for freedom of choice and fair competition across the app ecosystem. I'm not exactly sure how this works, but I suppose they would do things like fund research and studies and fund PR, against any practices from Apple that they view as unfair. Dude, Apple, everyone's ganging up against the bully. You know, it's all these <laughs> dorks like waving their, you know, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's so funny, dude. I, 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 think, I think something's going to happen, but I guess we'll get to it in a moment with uh, Mr. David. Any other updates or should we roll into news? Adam, you got anything? Nothing. Nothing. I get, I'm excited for my house. That's it. <laughs> Canada, it's boring. You need some. Uh, you need some paintings on the wall or something, dude. Put some pictures up. Yeah, I'm not in my new house yet. This is still. Old. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, people, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsor, Beta Hat, and then we will be right back. So stay tuned. I want to talk about consumer insights. Honestly, I've always had issue with consumer insights. I questioned the value and felt that CI was always somewhat disconnected from the real world. The big issue with CI firms is they don't hire people that know anything about video games and therefore don't have a fundamental understanding of what matters in this business. That's why I like Beta Hat. Beta Hat knows the business of video games and understands how to connect consumer insights to the real world. And Beta Hat helps you understand your customers, understand not only what they do, but why. They specialize in customer segmentations, brand tracking, messaging and positioning, pricing and SKU planning, and playtesting through qualitative and quantitative research. There are about 10 people in this industry that I rely upon to understand trends. And one of them is Stan Kwan, the CEO of Beta Hat. Beta Hat is the best CI team in the industry. Go to betahatmr.com for more information. That's betahatmr.com. Welcome back from the commercial break, and let's start the news. All right, rolling into the news. First, we're going to start with Monday's hearing may foreshadow Epic versus Apple outcome. This is from Gamma Law. Actually, I'm going to hand it over to David. So David, could you talk to us about that blog post? And then there was the hearing yesterday, right? And so it'd be great to get your thoughts in terms of what happened at the hearing and some of what you believe is likely to come. 
That's right. Uh, absolutely. So, so yesterday, as you say, was was a hearing in the case, the second hearing that we've had so far. This is the hearing on Epic's preliminary injunction. Uh, and to quote from the judge, Judge Gonzalez Rogers, who's um, becoming something of a celebrity here, uh, this is going to be a fascinating trial. Uh, of course, her quote presupposes that the parties don't actually settle here in the next couple of years before this case sees the inside of a courtroom. But uh, let's talk more about that later. So anyway, yesterday was the hearing on Epic's request for a preliminary injunction to force Apple to return Fortnite to the App Store with Epic's alternative payment method. And the second part of the uh, the preliminary injunction, or PI, we'll say, is to prevent Apple from terminating the Unreal Engine uh, on the App Store. So this may sound familiar, and that's because it's basically a repeat of the demands that were made earlier this month by Epic for a temporary restraining order. And just to stick with the jargon here, that's a TRO. We've got a TRO and a PI. But this time, it's a bit more serious because a PI will stay in effect for the whole trial. And of course, being America, that could be years. So the question is, well, you know, why is the court now hearing the same arguments on the same requests, you know, basically three weeks later? And this is because uh, a TRO is an emergency order that only lasts for like 14 days. It can be extended for another 14 days. But uh, it's typical, this is the pattern, a, a party goes into court, plaintiff generally goes into court, requests a TRO, uh, and then goes back a short time later and requests the, the PI for the duration of the trial. So, of course, uh, as everyone knows now, last month the court ruled in the TRO that Apple was not required to put Fortnite back up with Epic's alternative payment method. But on the other hand, Apple was prohibited from terminating Epic's developer account for the Unreal Engine. No decision yet from yesterday's hearing, but some interesting things uh, came out of that, which we'll discuss here in a moment. Looks like we're going to have a decision on the, on the PI. If the judge follows the normal pattern, we'll probably see a, a decision on this with, uh, within this week, by the end of this week. So, you know, as I say, a, a number of interesting things come out of the hearing yesterday. The judge, it seems, you know, continues to be skeptical of Epic's position uh, as far as the law is concerned. You know, we don't know. She may be sympathetic to Epic's claim in general. But uh, as far as the legal basis for Epic's uh, lawsuit and actions, get the feeling, con uh, continue to get the feeling that uh, the judge feels that Epic has quite a lot to do to prove their case. But um, you know, back to, to yesterday's hearing, it, it looks like from what the judge said, her questions and her comments, that she's gonna rule in this PI motion the same as she ruled in the TRO last month. Basically, what she's saying is Epic didn't need to cause this situation, which uh, resulted in Fortnite getting banned from the App Store. And in fact, she had pretty strong words yesterday for Epic's lawyers about uh, their actions on August 13, which, of course, that fateful night when uh, the hotfix was uh, activated with the alternative payment method. She said, you were told you couldn't do it, and you did, and it's not honest. So I think when she says you were told you couldn't do it, of course, the, the developer terms say you can't do that. But I think she's also referring to the emails that um, were exchanged between uh, Tim Sweeney and 
Apple legal as well as some other Apple executives over the two or three months uh, preceding this action. So the question is, how could, based on what we've seen so far from Judge Gonzalez Roberts, what can we sort of guess as to how this could go forward if indeed it, uh, it goes to a trial? Sorry, let's just back up a minute and talk a bit more about the PI request here and the injunction. So basically, courts in the U.S., they take this remedy of an injunction, which is forcing someone to do something or alternatively forcing someone not to do something. They take this uh, very seriously. It's considered to be a much more drastic remedy than just a money judgment. You know, just a money judgment could be a lot of money, but just the same courts are, are pretty reluctant to exercise this uh, remedy of injunction unless all of the boxes are checked. And one of the boxes is that this has to be an emergency. There has to be no other way to address the, the risk of irreparable harm that could take place during the course of the trial uh, if a party's request is not granted. And in this case, the court uh, so far has said, um, you know, listen, we're not going to use this drastic remedy of an injunction to fix a situation that you, Epic, caused by your own action. You know, you didn't need to sneak in your own payment method there uh, to bring this lawsuit. You could have you could have filed the lawsuit without uh, taking the action that you took on August 13. And, you know, and the judge isn't particularly moved by the fact that Epic is losing millions of dollars from not being able to offer the game to iOS customers. Uh, it's just money. And you know, money can be uh, money losses can be handled in a uh, in a final court decision at the end of, of a trial. So yeah, so the other the other part of the PI hearing uh, is the Unreal Engine, and I don't think anyone seriously thinks that the judge is going to support Apple here. You know, and in fact, even yesterday, uh, she made uh, she kind of made fun of the Apple lawyers and said, uh, "Listen, you know, because the Apple Apple's been been making the, the 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 case that, you know, listen, if we're if we're forced to keep the Unreal Engine up, uh, if we're forced to keep uh, Epic's other developer accounts active, who knows what they could do, Your Honor? They could sneak in all kinds of stuff into into our uh, ecosystem, but the judge isn't buying that. She's saying, you know, listen, this dispute is about Fortnite." And uh, and that's where it's going to stay. Yeah, so, so David, it seems like there's kind of three issues potentially, right? So one, there's the potential for developers to have an alternative payment option. Secondly, is Unreal Engine, which sounds like you think that part won't stand. And then the third part is the thirty percent. Is that fair or not fair? Is that a good characterization of like the issues at large? It is, sure. Of course, behind that is all sorts of, of legal uh, detail and, and, and arguments to be made. But um, yeah, I think that's a good summary of the of the actual issues that matter. It sounded like just when I read through some of the, the Twitter summaries of what happened yesterday and just like some of the folks who actually did listen, it sounded like most people thought that the day did not go well for Epic. Would you agree with that or... And do you have any specific outlook in terms of those three points, how things play out? Sure. So I, Wait, I, it, hold on a minute. It just seems like this, maybe correct me if I'm wrong. We're just in a holding pattern, right? Like nothing really was decided on these, with these injunctions that they're trying to put forth, right? She basically re recommitted to what she had said before is that Epic is 
doing something they shouldn't have done and they know it, they should have done it outside of, of, of breaching their contract. And then, um, and then it's just kind of waiting until the trial is over, right? Till anything is actually decided. Is that accurate? Or am I just- Well, yeah, we are gonna, uh, no, I think that's broadly correct, but we are gonna have a decision on the preliminary injunction, uh, as I say, likely within this week. So the specific issues that were argued yesterday, uh, those will be decided here you know, within the next few days. I mean, in terms of, let's say, to Joe's question, the, uh, you know, the 30 percent, uh, for example, I was a bit surprised that this actually did come up in the hearing and the judge uh, actually weighed it in and, uh, you know, and gave her sort of preliminary thoughts anyway about, you know, the 30 percent uh, commission and is that fair or not? And the reason I was surprised is because this is the sort of thing that you would expect in an antitrust uh, trial. This is going to be like, you know, in a normal, you know, a case of this scale, you're going to see dozens of depositions from experts, economists who are being paid thousands of dollars an hour uh, to give their opinions and to produce all their academic studies on the pricing model and whether it ac accurately reflects you know supply and demand as it exists in the relevant market so i thought it was interesting that the judge just kind of jumped into that at this preliminary hearing and said you know what you know the 30 percent i mean that's the same that's the same rate that uh, they have that xbox applies in their store it's the same rate that you know google play applies it's the same rate even and she you know i can't verify this but she mentioned best buy and walmart well, so, she can't really comment on that she doesn't yeah. she's not an expert like you're, I mean, well, I've, I've been I've been part of a lawsuit before too, and it's like, yeah, they hire experts to write depositions for weeks and weeks, right? She can't like weigh in on what's fair, right? That doesn't make sense. Well, you know, judges, you know, judges uh, have a lot of uh, a lot of discretion, of course. To well, to, I mean, to but provide. do you think this <clears throat> this could be something that Epic uses to you know uh, move it up to a different court because this woman's not competent or not not doing something appropriate? So it's, it's a great point, Eric. Um, and in fact, near the end of the hearing, uh, Judge Gonzalez Roberts actually made that point. She said, listen, right. yeah, at the end of the day, this case, uh, provided it goes to trial, there's going to be a decision. And one of you is not going to be happy with the decision. And I'm going to be a stepping stone to the next court. Right. right? Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. But, you know, she mentioned that it would go to a jury and not the Supreme Court. So would this be actually tr be ultimately decided by a jury of regular people? Or would this actually go to more of a Supreme Court decision? Well, so right now we're at the federal district court level. And the judge is advocating that the parties proceed with uh, with a jury trial here. And of course, either party can elect that. Um, and I'm, I was actually a bit surprised she mentioned that because I'm almost certain that, that Epic um, is going to want uh, a jury trial. But uh, yeah. thereafter, you know, if the case is appealed, uh, there's no more, there's no more uh, opportunity for a jury to, to hear it. It would go to the Ninth Circuit to appellate court. But, okay, let's be clear here. The conclusion that you guys drew the last time we were talking about this was that this likely won't go that far. It will likely be settled. And Apple will have to concede something, right? Or, or not. Is that, isn't that what the conclusion of the last one was? I mean, I, the way it sounded from yesterday is this thing's, this thing's going to trial. <laughs> I don't think so. I think so, I think Apple 
Dude, you have too many people coming out against them that they got to do something. It's a PR disaster for them, right? You know that. But I think uh, I think you're absolutely right, Eric. That they have to do something, and that's and that's increasingly clear. But the question is, uh, you know, who who's going to be driving that process of deciding what they have to do? And obviously, they want to be in the driver's seat for that process. Well, I mean, but the coalition of app fairness, right, with Spotify, Match, and Epic, Proton, Mail, and a bunch of others that I wasn't familiar with. Like, imagine if you had, you know, Electronic Arts, you know, Supercell, you know, freaking Riot, like everybody come on board on this, because I don't think anybody, well, maybe it's just me because I'm in my own little echo chamber, but it just seems like everyone's kind of pissed off at Apple at this point, right? I don't think they've, they've not... And Facebook, yeah, why isn't Facebook part of this? I mean, Facebook is just livid with these guys, right? Like, they're they're not making any friends, right? So when you talk about these coalitions, that puts a lot of pressure on them. And they're the ones that are making decisions, not in the law, law not in the uh, courts, but in the in the press, right? When they come out with their idea of what Apple should do, that's probably the next step, right? For them to, like, come up with a plan that would be appropriate from their perspective. And Apple will be on the defensive, you know? Isn't that possible? It is, and I think you know this group that they that uh, that Epic has has put together. Um, you know, I think there's some value for that in terms of the litigation because maybe it um, it shows the court and potentially a jury if uh, if a jury ever you know is presented with this the fact that um, okay there's there's you know it's not just Epic. Other people in this space feel the same way that uh, that Apple is a monopoly and exercising monopoly power. Uh, at the same time, it's pretty easy to write that off as um, as other companies that um, want to pay less for the service that Apple provides. Yeah, but okay, I I hear you, but like the reality of it is, like just the the coalition that they have now basically reaches every single almost audience in the United States. Like between Spotify, Match, and Epic, I mean, what demo is not 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 using these these applications? And the more they communicate, and they're out there in the press saying. Apple's evil, Apple's evil, you know they got to respond, right? So maybe we should, call the, we should call the Apple PR people, they're all XEA people, <laughs> and see what's going on, what they're thinking. They won't tell us shit, but anyway, I don't know. It feels like, yeah, yeah it, does, it, it just does feel like that this may actually be settled in the court of public opinion as opposed to the courts themselves. Clearly this lady is not qualified to do, be doing what she's doing if she's you know, talking out of, out of turn about the 30%, right? So well, I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to say that the judge is not qualified to hear this case. She's an experienced judge, and yeah. I think she's well respected. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, if you read court transcripts, you'll find that uh, that it's pretty common for judges yeah. to sort of kind of yeah. uh, disclose. She's to the humorous as well. <laughs> is she? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah and she actually knows. Uh, she 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 knows. You know, as a, yeah. a Joe, you probably saw the part where. The Epic uh, lawyers was saying, uh, listen, you can't uh, take your Xbox on the bus to play Fortnite. Right? Yeah, and she's like, yeah, you, well, you can take a Switch on, on the bus or whatever. Yeah, you can take a yeah. Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Oh, so she's hip, huh? Yeah. All right, let's look Yeah, read through the transcript. But So, David, just to summarize for you, what's your bet in terms of does this go to trial or not? And then... Do you think, sounds like what we're saying is that the Unreal Engine issue is probably going to resolve in Epic's case, but the two other remaining issues, alternative app store or alternative payments and 30%, what do you think? Is that going to go to trial or is that going to get settled? So I think that um, what we're going to see at the end of this week in the decision on the PI is just as you said, Joe, that um, 
the uh, that the Unreal Engine continues to be available, continues to be updated on iOS, yeah. uh, and Fortnite continues to stay off of the App Store unless uh, Epic decides to to concede and put the game back up without the alternative payment method. So that that seems like the likely outcome of the uh, of the preliminary injunction request. You know, in terms of whether this goes to trial, I mean, <clears throat> you know, what I've said is that if there was a surprise ruling from the judge and uh, and the judge said, listen, uh, Apple, I'm convinced that that your behavior is likely to result in a, in a in a judgment against you at trial, and I don't want Epic to continue to lose all this goodwill, et cetera, from having Ep- from having Fortnite banned from the App Store. So I'm going to force you to put uh, Fortnite back up on the App Store with the Epic payment method. So uh, if we have a surprise decision at the end of this week from the judge that requires Apple to put uh, Fortnite back up, then I think we have a settlement in this case within uh, three to six months. Right. Because at that point, I think uh, Apple would be in, 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 a, in a really hazardous uh, uh, yeah. situation. Yeah. Although it, it didn't sound from, from the It comments. doesn't sound like she's doing that. <laughs> yeah, it didn't sound like it. <laughs> but, well, I, yeah, I guess we'll see. Right. But, but let me just say, you know, it, it, it is not at all certain based on the types of questions that a judge asks at, in a hearing and, and, and even the sorts of uh, almost like harassment <laughs> sometimes that you see a judge uh, meet out on, on lawyers. It is not at all a conclusion that can be drawn that she's going to rule or he's going to rule in favor or against a particular side. Right. I thought the one other interesting thing that came out from the case was just more around the the statistics around the Fortnite users. And I think that there was a claim that a lot of the Fortnite players were actually from iOS, but that was more of a statistic around how many players ever access Fortnite from iOS rather than the actual amount of players that play Fortnite uh, using iOS on a sort of daily basis. I think they mentioned that it was like 10%. Is that right, David, in terms of DAO? I think 10% is, uh, has generally been regarded as the, as the number of active players on right. iOS. Yeah. But of course, yeah, there was that back and forth about, well, how many people just downloaded it and never looked right, at it right, again, right. et cetera. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the next news article, Blizzard co-founder Mike Morheim launches new gaming endeavor, Dreamhaven. So Mike Morheim, as if you're a real gamer, you already know is one of the co-founders of Blizzard, finally announced his new game company called Dreamhaven, something that's been rumored about for quite a while. And one thing to make clear is that every news article or post about Dreamhaven, Morheim makes it very explicitly crystal clear that he had no specific intentions to start a game company when he left Blizzard. So it's pretty clear he wants that message to go out to everybody. So yeah, we got that message. It 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 hasn't even been two years yet since he left, right? When did he leave? It doesn't feel like it was two years because it was, well, actually maybe it was because it was like two BlizzCons ago, right? Yeah, I'll look it up. Go ahead. But anyway, so according to VentureBeat, Morheim is self-funding the company for now until he can find an investor he can be sure will give them independence and, quote, the ability to focus on quality, iteration, and giving creative staff enough time to make the right games. And from what we know, Dreamhaven will be comprised of two game studios, one called Moonshot, the other called Secret Door. 
Moonshot's leaders are Jason Chase, Dustin Browder, and Ben Thompson. Chase was an EP at Blizzard where he worked on Hearthstone. Browder was a game director for StarCraft II, Heroes of the Storm, Command and & Conquer, and Lord of the Rings. Thompson was creative director for Hearthstone and the art director for World of Warcraft training cards. These are all ex-Blizzard guys. And also Secret Door, those leads are also all former Blizzard guys, Chris Sigati, uh, Alan Dabiri, and Eric Dodds. Sigati was EP on Hearthstone, StarCraft II, and Heroes of the Storm. Dodds was the original game director of Hearthstone. Dabiri was both tech director and a game director on various titles, including Warcraft III, StarCraft II, and Heroes of the Storm. Anyway, obviously this is great news for the games industry. Good luck to Dreamhaven and those two studios. You kind of have to think that they're probably going to work on a CCG, but personally I think there's absolutely tremendous opportunity in CCG and RTS, although a lot of, I know Twitch streamers say RTS is dead, but we don't know what the studios have planned, but I would hope for me personally that they would go after those two genres personally. The only thing that le- the only thing left at Blizzard is going to be a bunch of freaking consultants from McKenzie <laughs> and Bain. You know, that's what's the that's what they're going to end up with at this point. What do you think, Adam? <laughs> the the part that made me laugh was until he can find an an investor, right? Yeah, it's, it's going to get oversubscribed <laughs> like like ten times. <laughs> Pretty sure this team is going to get overfunded very yeah. very quickly. For sure. Um, top shelf access to talent, right? Like they're going to be able to just create a mass exodus of talent from Activision Blizzard um, because Morheim really was the martyr of Blizzard fighting back against Activision. So pretty much everyone from Blizzard over the last, what, 10 years at least will be looking, banging down the door to try to pull, um, <laughs> go work for them. My only concern is just how long it's actually going to take for them to build that next game. Like if you think about Blizzard's you know, how Blizzard builds games, it's not going to be a quick iteration until they get that first game out. Um, it's going to take a long time. So I think Morham's right to try to find that right investment partner because you want to make sure that you've got enough money for both of these studios and I'm sure all the talent that they're going to try to pull in uh, to give a long enough runway that they can create that game. Um, Blizzard's just not known for being fast. So, of course, this will be a studio to watch. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's my notes. Eric's. Yeah, I mean, this is huge announcement i actually didn't hear these rumors which is a little bit surprising since i do talk to a lot of ex-blizzard people all the time but um you know i've said this a million times you know blizzard is basically a shell of what it used to be and most of the creatives have gone um but now with these two two teams two full teams that they're building they're going to take all the engineers all the artists all the writers i mean anybody everybody as you said wants to work for um for Morheim and basically what's and no one wants to work for McKenzie so it's like you know it's I, th- I think it's this is so sad in some ways because at least we'll we'll see something anew you know but uh but the old blizzard just looks like it's done right I mean they were in trouble before and now it just seems like if all the best people leave it just leaves a lot of uh chance of of misexecution or delays or just bombs, you know, of games. And I think Overwatch is going to be the first test of this uh, potentially next year. So I'm really excited to see what they can pull off. And, you know, they will obviously have carte blanche to do whatever the heck they want. Um, you know, they're basically following, you know, Second Dinner, Bonfire, uh, and now Dreamhaven. I'm hearing there's a few other offshoots in the works. And then a lot of these creative guys and a lot of these engineers are going to, whoa. Yeah. 
We can still hear you. You're still okay on my Yeah, you're, you're fine. Wait, I'm hearing something. Sorry, I'm getting interference. One sec. That was really weird. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. But like Adam, I, I don't think there we're going to see a game anytime soon, right? There's like a three to five year thing, but they probably will grow the team up to at least 120, maybe 150 people. So that's just a lot of people to pull away from uh, from Blizzard and not to mention all the other people that are likely going to go elsewhere um, to new teams as well. So really bad news for Activision. Uh, it, it didn't impact the stock price, surprisingly, but uh, yeah, I think, I think, I think they're going to be in trouble, right? They're going to be in trouble on execution. Yeah, I, I think that having Dreamhaven there, probably to your point about Second Dinner and Bonfire and some of the offshoots that are coming up, Dreamhaven probably acts as a backstop to those companies, right? So if, if you are a Bonfire and a, or a Second Dinner and you run out of cash, well, <laughs> you're just going to get sucked up by, <laughs> by Dreamhaven. Yeah, but I don't uh, think yeah, I, that's not a risk for any of these guys. I, and the one other story, the anecdote I always heard, and I may have said this on the podcast and I apologize, is that part of what made Blizzard Blizzard is the type of people that would go to Blizzard, right? These were like PhDs in engineering, you know, that are like professors and they wanted to work at Blizzard because it's Blizzard, right? And so these people would be worth like their weight in gold because they'd be so efficient at getting things done. And, and you know, they would have teams, much smaller teams because they would have these like amazing uh, intellects and minds, you know, tackling these problems. And so these are the type of people that just bail, right? When there's another opportunity and something that's well-funded, they are gone, right? Or they go back to freaking doing whatever the crazy stuff they were doing before. And so you can't, I understand that the IP is really strong. And I think, you know, Activision would argue that they can make something of the IP because there's a million people that want to work on this IP, but the quality level is just not going to be as high, right? Of, of the individuals that you're getting and the creative talent is obviously all gone, right? So, um, so anyway, it just, Right, but let's let's talk about that, Eric. So the choice isn't really Morheim versus McKinsey. It's really Morheim versus Jab, right? But I so I hear kind of mixed things, but generally, like he he does have a good reputation, right? Jab who, at Blizzard. Wait, who's Jab? J. Allen, whatever branch or Brock oh, right, or whatever. right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to share anything on that on him okay. in particular. But um, but I, I just don't think he's going to last, right? I think he, he may suck it up for a while, but like, I'm, but I'm not going to really comment on that. I look, Activision is wearing everyone down, right? Um, and and I, you know, and and so are the McKenzie and Bain people that are running it. So it's it's just a matter of time before most people leave uh, that are of, of uh, you know the senior people. So anyway, all right. Moving on, on that positive note. <laughs> on that positive note, let's talk about instant games. Playco has raised 100 million at a 1 billion valuation for instant games. Um, if you're not in the know, instant games are HTML5 based games that can be played instantly on any platform. Uh, the belief here is in a post app store world where gaming experiences are shared and there is no install needed in order to actually play that the friction of installing a game on the app store is actually holding back truly social and viral experiences um, allowing gaming experiences to be created and shared within the apps we actually exist and play in so facebook messenger whatsapp groups wechat is kind of the predominant platforms um, so side note here is that i've actually I founded a startup that looked into this space uh, because I actually believed in that pitch. And that was a few years ago. 
um, that mobile audiences, you know, have all been shifting towards engaging within chat applications more than app stores. Um, and we actually saw some promise there, but uh, we pivoted away from the market after a little less than a year, because after working within the messenger game space, we just found that retention was just such a major, major issue. You can get tens of thousands of people and tons of organic downloads, but retaining these players is like plugging a leaky bucket. Um, so without something actually installing to your phone and without actually forcing players to effectively become spam bots, we just found the model didn't really work. Um, but this is different, right? Like we were building games for the West, and I would say that uh, chat apps and these instant games have shown promise in other areas. So WeChat in China has definitely thrived as an ecosystem. In Latin America and other geos, you can actually see that people prefer using chatbots and chat apps over actual apps uh, when carrying out like day-to-day -day, uh, activities. So for example, um, at a gas station, you've got a QR code, you throw up WhatsApp, and it immediately opens up a instant web app where you can actually pay uh, for the gas within that app, and then you leave. You don't have to install anything, which is nice. Um, but the reality is, even within China, these mini apps actually drop engagement versus a regular app. And uh, what, the what the chat uh, actually reported, D1 retention for these things are between 5% and 14% with D14 less than 1.5%. That just kind of speaks to the leaky bucket model here. So the pitch that Playco is running on is that the West will eventually see a surge of instant app and instant games, and they are gonna be the ones to build the engine to run them. And I will say that this founding team is very, very impressive. So Xinga, Game Closure, and Takashi from DNA, Dana, I'm always gonna mispronounce that name. Um, they acquired Game Closure, which is the most successful dev in the space. They built Everwing on Facebook Messenger, um, so very, very impressive. Um, they're focused on building the engine, which I would say is actually a very strategic advantage in the space. Uh, FRVR uh, also worked very well on Facebook Messenger simply because of how lightweight their tech was um, and just how fast their startup time and how uh, that relates to a major competitive advantage. So I would say that this is the team to invest in if you believe in this space, because I don't believe Unity or Unreal could pivot into it very quickly. Um, but personally, I'm more concerned about this space ever becoming a thing in the West. So while I can see instant apps becoming a thing, instant games competing with the experiences of native games is just a really hard sell and has been for the last you know decade that people have assumed HTML5 could overtake uh, native mobile. Um, and the reality is, is when you actually still want to be able to install on a player's device, these hybrid HTML things, you're, you're still ending up paying 30% to the platform holder anyways. So you're not really getting a huge advantage there. The major value is then only that you can share quickly through social channels and that uh, you don't have to install it. Um, but the reality is, is that uh, when you look at these spaces, what types of games get created, the, the highest retaining games are horoscope apps or which Harry Potter character are you? Um, it's not really deep engaging experiences. So for the games that actually wanna be deeper, you're back to kind of Farmville level spamming your friends, which I just don't see as a viable business model. But those are my thoughts. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you believe in the instant games pitch uh, that we are eventually gonna live in an app store free world? Um, and do you think the $1 billion is worth it? It, every data point I've heard on this thing has been negative. I don't, I don't understand how this is even a thing still <laughs> with this stupid stuff, you know?
a billion dollars? Are they crazy? Right? I, I don't think anybody's making money at this business, as far as I understand it. Joe, I mean, have you yeah, ever I anything? think from my perspective, I feel like we don't understand it. So, Adam, is yeah, is this <laughs> is this focused on the Western market? Is that their ultimate goal? Or are, Dude, they're is, two is white guys. Something? They look like Swedes or something, right? <laughs> I know, they're but they're not, not going to be making games for Asia. But I think crazy. one of them was like the former like lead for Japan or something like that. I mean, yeah, they they got like blonde eyebrows. Okay, they're not making <laughs> games for J- Japan. You know, that's crazy. I, I don't get this. Like, I think this is part of this funding craze right now, where everything is getting funded, no matter how brain the idea is because <laughs> so so for me i just think we don't understand what what they're doing but in terms of like the the founding team and the investors you know very experienced management team high reputation investors and josh buckley has from my understanding an incredible investment track record so i feel like we just need to learn more about what they're actually doing yeah, and seriously. I, I'll, like, I'll reach out to Josh Buckley. Hopefully, maybe I mean, we can get him to come on. But I, I actually I'd love to chat I, I just, with him about it. What he sees beyond the surface here, right? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, a year ago, or maybe six months. Nah, maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was a while ago. But I did, I did research on these particular issues because I was doing it for for a client, and I talked to Facebook, I talked to Google, I talked to like you all. I talked to developers, and everyone was like, "No, this is a fucking train wreck. It, it, train wreck. Well, HTML five doesn't work. Retention is terrible." People don't use their they don't use apps this way. It's like convincing people to do something they don't know what to do, right? So right. like there's this but huge like part of that was because you're launching games within the Facebook Messenger ecosystem, right? And Facebook is just not I mean that, that whole thing Facebook, was <laughs> Facebook even Facebook even came out and said, look, we're not even gonna take a cut of this ecosystem, right? right like right. all you're gonna have to pay is the 30% to Apple. Yeah. And even still. It wasn't, but, a thing. but if you but if you start circumventing Apple with this bullshit, right? You don't think you're going to get dinged, you know? You don't think that Apple will go after them, and and then you're just competing against the platform holder, and then <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't even in terms I don't of like understand the, how this would even work. So yes, you're right. I think we're I'm ignorant, and maybe I should look into it again. Although I feel like a complete waste of my time, right? But I'm I will do it <laughs> since there's a billion dollar company out there that that is their strategy. I should probably know something about it. I suppose. You know, the one thing about like thinking globally, right? They're going to be headquartered in California, Tokyo, and Seoul. I think technically okay. in Delaware, but. It looks like the people are going to be in California. Um, so this could be a play for South Korea and Japan. Um, and I think they have the, the, the team to do it. Um, so I would buy into that part of it, right? Like mini games for Line and Cacao. Right? That makes sense. But the, the leads, part of the leading founding team is Xinga with a lot of PR at this level about cloud streaming, Google Play Instant, iOS app clips, Facebook Instant Games, and Snapchat minis. Like when when they're putting that as like that's our business opportunity that's what worries me so yeah, yeah I'd, I mean, love, I'd love to talk, talk to josh about what he saw beyond the surface here because i think everyone was a great product and i think this is the team to go after the space it's just i don't believe this space has shown any signs of life in the last decade no 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 let's move on i mean yeah it's these dudes. okay let's let's move on to uh luna where we definitely see a lot of promise right eric <laughs> oh my god it's like one trigger <laughs> after another, dude. Um, <laughs> this is why I picked these articles for you. Um, okay, so Luna. Uh, Amazon is launching its own Stadia slash xCloud competitor. Um, this has been rumored for a long time. I'm personally very surprised that they announced it now, out of the blue. Um, 
a week after Xbox and PlayStation were announced. Um, and really, like in terms of the business model, in terms of what they're trying to deliver, it's a lot of the same concerns as Stadia remain here. So I've got to wonder, like, have they looked at Stadia? Have they really analyzed why that failed? And what are they trying to do to avoid the exact same thing? Um, so in terms of pricing, et cetera, Luna Plus is a subscription. It will only be about six bucks a month with unlimited hours of streaming with a library of titles that you can play for free. Huge unit economic issues right yeah. from the start. Six Dude, bucks a month, not they're enough. They're going to lose their ass, but I guess Amazon doesn't <laughs> care, right? You know how much they're money they're going to lose, lose on this ass. thing? It's insane. Yeah. Um, but then again, and the content subscription has all the flags that we've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast, right? Like... <laughs> Half the games here are super old games. Nobody's going to be wanting to play no anyways, plays, yeah. right? Uh, I, some of them are very nice games, but I, nobody's going to play them. No one's going to pay six bucks a month so they can play ukulele. I'm sorry. Um, Twitch streams, you know, it's the one advantage that Amazon has here, right? Like they have Twitch, so you can go right from watching a Twitch stream to playing instantly in Luna. But... Again, same feature as Stadia, not really clear what the value is. And being able to tap from Twitch to go into game instantly like sounds great in a pitch. But the reality is most of the games that people watch on Twitch are not tap and join my game type of experiences, right? You can't just tap and join Shroud inside of his game, right? These are PvP competitive games. So most of the tap and join experiences are, say, more single player and more sandbox games. And that's not really the majority of how people engage with Twitch. So the irony is there's, there's no business model there either, no, right? There's nothing. Like yeah. The one nice thing is, say, from a Twitch uh, streamer perspective, I can start driving people to, you know, increase uh, yeah, level to play with me in my Twitch game, right? But again, this is this is cherry on top. If you don't have the, the basis of why people want to use your service to begin with, it's not going to work. And I think the interesting thing is that Luna will be available on iOS actually through a web app. So they're actually circumventing the App Store completely. Um, so I'm wondering what the experience will be, performance will be, and whether xCloud and uh, Stadia actually follow suit on that front. Um, but yeah, it, the weird thing as well is that Pricing is a bit confusing. You pay six bucks a month for the service, and then they're talking about like channels per publisher. So you pay for a Ubisoft channel, which would have access to the ultimate editions of Assassin's Creed and Watchdog when they launch day one. Which, as a developer, right? Like, how do I even price these subscriptions, right? Like, how, and why are you forcing developers to go into this model? Um, so I don't know. It's just weird. Feels like Microsoft has already won. We've talked about this a lot before. XCloud has the content, especially now with Bethesda, which is going to be the biggest driver. The tech will likely be good for XCloud. And even if it's lower quality to Stadia or Luna, it really won't matter. In terms of price sensitive gamers, Microsoft has just got that covered. It has the best hardware offer at 25 bucks a month and has the best content. And we'll have day one access to FIFA, Madden, Call of Duty on launch day. So I just don't understand how a developer would start bowing down to Luna's weird subscription model um, as a secondary platform. So for me, I mean, Luna just has the same signs as Stadia and then some. Eric? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to go through this all, all again, but I mean, I honestly think that this kind of service is a, is a, is a feature. It's not a standalone service. So it's, I think as a feature of Xbox, Xbox, um, 
you know, subscription plan, I think it, it may work to some degree. And even then, I doubt anybody's going to be using this thing in mass, right? So creating a standalone service, I mean, they're doing some unique things, you know, like let the publishers kind of figure it out. Maybe they white label it so that the publishers can do it on different platforms. There's got to be some future here that I'm not seeing, but I, I think in the short term, like these are all disastrous because it's $6 a month, unlimited pay playtime. I mean, that is just, the unit economics don't work. I mean, the cost of hosting and internet uh, the bandwidth is just too prohibitive, right, for this to make sense, you know, and so, and even if you were to add additional charges on it, I don't think the model actually works, but, you know, I, I don't think Amazon really cares about models all that much. Do you guys think any other large company jumps in? Well, or, or I, think, I think Google or Amazon just need to go to Sony and say, like, let's work on this, right? Like, let's use your content, your ecosystem, because that's the only way they're going to be competing, right? Like, Microsoft at at some point in the future, we talked about this a little bit on a previous podcast, right? They have, they have the Game Pass subscription, which will include xCloud. So for me, if I want to play the next Skyrim, right, I'm going to almost want to be playing it on Game Pass instead of on Sony or on, you know, on Steam, because it includes the ability that now I can play it at home on my console, play it on my PC, and play it on the, on the go. And even if I play 10% on the go, it's a nice value add feature. Um, Sony needs to eventually get to a point where they can offer a very similar service that when I want to play Horizon Zero Dawn and I want to play it on any, any device that I have in my home or on the go, it would be nice to have a service. And I would say they should partner with Google or Amazon to do that because Sony's not capable of doing it on their own. All right, yet another service for us to poo-poo and say <laughs> makes no sense but uh yeah let me know if you guys hear anything else about this uh this stupid html5 games okay um all right are we done now, actually hey david in any message to the audience how can people reach out to you where can they go for our video games legal services well thank you so we're gamma law gammalaw.com but, uh, you know, on the Epic Apple dispute, um, there's a lot of people following it. And so we created the uh, Epic v. Apple Legal Resource Center. You can find it on our site or just by typing in Epic Apple Legal Center. And uh, what we've got there is an interactive timeline. We got emails between Tim Sweeney sent, uh, you know, in the middle of the night to Tim Cook, uh, who, by the way, didn't reply. Um, and, you know, and uh, and we've got uh, all the all the PDF filings in in, in the case, um, and we're we're doing this on a real time basis. So nice. check it out if you're interested. Um, and uh, yeah, hope to to talk to you again soon here, Joe. All right, there we go. Twig one hundred and two, and we are out. Thanks, guys. Uh -huh.